Hello, friends. Welcome to a tale not for the faint of heart. The year is 1890. The place, Boston. A dark and sinister force has seeped into our world, corrupting and conquering all it touches. Now, four adventurers have banded together. Can they keep the darkness from holding total dominion over all? Find out as our heroes face the Red Death. So the bullet whizzes past past James and hits the ghost on the side of the the other side of the face um, that isn't streaming away, and it just dissipates. As it as it starts to dissipate, you see this this trembling in the whole spirit, um, and it starts to pull its face back together, and it says. Um, it, it sort of stretches an arm out that's shaking violently at uh, Witherspoon and says, he took nine lives, nine. And then it starts to try to say something, but then just blows apart. And we are out of combat. Wow. <laughs> so, so, so uh, Agnes, you have the doctor by the window in the study? I'm no longer physically touching him but I'm okay. he's in the study I'm by the window he has a dagger in his right thigh he's been he's got a couple lumps on his head from when he's been clocked uh, with the the non-business end of said dagger he's not looking super great he's looking pretty rocky his clothes are disheveled yeah, he's not looking super good it's about to get a whole lot worse for that doctor if someone can't convince Finn not to put a bullet in his head Okay. The police are downstairs. <laughs> Finn, Finn, Finn just goes right into the room, into the study, puts a foot on his chest, flattens him to the ground, and puts the barrel to his head. Hey, hey, easy, easy, easy. The police are downstairs. We'd only make this worse than it already is. Nine. Nine was the number. Can, yes. you, can you answer for that, Doctor? Nine? He says, he says there, were, there were nine victims of Jack the Ripper that that much I know and these names these names are the names of their victims that that's true but this is some sort of I've been framed I don't know by whom I don't know why but this this all started back in England when you know uh, when my wife was murdered um, someone is trying to to set me up for this I was I was interviewed there by the police and and they saw my innocence and and then my my wife and and now this and I'm innocent. I swear that I'm innocent. Yeah, I was going to do an insight check on him. Okay, go ahead. Uh, that was a one, so that was a four. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, you have no reason to disbelieve him. You find what he says convincing. I want to do. A, I want to investigate the jars with tongues in them. Okay. Um, specifically, what I'm looking for is compared to everything else in the study. Do they look new? Do the tongues look, considering I like would know from my dad's practice mm-hmm. roughly, like do the tongue, given they're all, they're also preserved, but 
do they look like they actually could be the right ages for when the victims were killed and yeah, just give me, seeing if there's anything going on there. Uh, give me a medicine check on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, 18. Uh, no, they look, uh, they look like they are preserved in a way that you would expect if they were, you know, between a year and a half and, and about half a year old. And the Ripper murders occurred, all of them. Yep. You, yeah, you look at the dates. Those are the exact dates of the Ripper murders. Um, some of them, the body was found on a certain day. Some of those are a day earlier. There are some where the police knew that the murder had just happened. Um, and those are, those are the same dates. You know, you've, with your interest in the macabre, you've definitely looked into this with everything that was happening. These line up exactly. All right. I'm going to start digging through the drawers at this point. She's okay. Like, uh, yeah. The drawers. Uh, yeah. Give me an investigation check. Um, uh, uh, so that's plus 15. Okay. Um, what are you looking for? Like a diary that explains his past in England, maybe something out of the ordinary, just anything that's not like medical journals. Yeah, so the so you don't find any journal or anything, but uh, yeah, you find you know medical papers, uh, sort of all the all the tricks of the trade. Really, the only thing that's off is uh, the knife and the uh, the tongues. Everything else, you know, is is precisely what you'd expect to find in a doctor's office. Can or, I inspect the knife at all? In a in a doctor's study, uh, yeah. Uh, give me an investigation check on the knife. 21. Okay. Um, so yeah, this knife is, is cleaned. It is 21 is real good. Uh, so the knife has definitely been used. Um, it's not a scalpel. It's not a, not a surgical implement, uh, but it has definitely been cleaned with medical supplies. So sort of cleaned in the same way to take everything off of it that you would expect from, from a surgical instrument. You smell some of that clean air sort of still on it a little bit. But it doesn't look like ornate or out of the ordinary or anything. Nope. I think in all this, James is just slumped into the nearest chair. Yeah. Just not doing too well. (laughs) Yeah. Um, From, from downstairs, you hear, you hear the sound of the door being forced open um, by, by a rough shoulder. Uh, and you hear Detective O'Neill uh, shouting for you all. If I, I'm going to just kind of visually check with everyone, and if, if there's no indicator otherwise, I'm going to go down and try to get let O'Neill in. Okay. I mean, you hear the, the door sort of, like, get forced open. Okay, um, so he's already, all right. Yeah. Uh, and you hear him down in the down in the parlor shouting for you. Uh, is it all right if I let him know we're all up here? Yes, bring him up. Yeah, James would nod. Okay. All right, so uh, yeah, I'll just holler down and let him know we're up okay. here. So he comes rushing up the stairs. He's taking them three or four at a time as sort of quickly as he can bound up. Um, he sees the door off the hinges. He sees Witherspoon with the dagger in his in his thigh, looking pretty beat up, the, the lumps forming on his forehead. And he says, what happened in here? Finn walks past the detective, walks down the stairs, and walks out the front door. And just sits on the stoop. 
Uh, I'm not sure he's going to let you do that. All right. Um, so, so you start, you start to like start to walk past him. He reaches an arm behind him, like kind of puts it on your shoulder and turns you a little bit. And he says, let, let's all stay here until we get a good sense of just what's going on. In that case, Finn is not, he's looking at the ground, not looking, not making eye contact with anybody and he's reloading his pistols. So Witherspoon starts, starts saying like, pointing at, at Agnes and saying, detective, detective, this woman hit me repeatedly with a dagger and then stabbed me. Well, that is all true. Um, <laughs> I also- I'm going to cut Agnes off real quick and be like, however, we did realize he is the Ripper and she points up to the jars of tongues to distract the marshal from the assault that Agnes made. <laughs> So O'Neill looks at the tongues and goes, holy shit. I know. What? Language detective. It says, ladies, my apologies, but this is, my God. Uh, and he, he looks back at Witherspoon and he says, are, are these yours? Um, Witherspoon looks at him and, you know, sort of frantically shakes his head and says, no, no, I, I swear they're not. I, I'm being framed. I'm being framed. I mean, they're in a study. They're labeled this knife and she pulled up the knife was medically cleaned in a way only a doctor can know how to clean it. And the eighth victim actually has a name on the jar. And if you know anything about the, the river studies at all, that they didn't know anything about the eighth victim. So O'Neill sort of scratches his chin. He says, why would someone, <sighs> so he, he's very confused. Like the, the most obvious solution is that, is that they, they've caught the Ripper, right? Um, but he he just can't believe that. I, GM, I have a question. What happened to the butler? The butler died. Okay. The butler and the two police officers were uh, murdered downstairs by the ghost. Right, right. That's why my headset was getting funny last session. Okay. Yeah, yeah when, you, when you came into the house, the, the butler and the, the two police officers who were stationed to guard it were, uh, were killed. This is there a way I uh, can have Ignacia sneak out and like go into the butler's room and see if she can start digging around somewhere else? Uh, probably not. I mean, if you want to try a stealth roll, if you get a natural 20 mate. <laughs> I mean, I could try. Yeah, I mean, actually not stealthy. Yeah, I mean, we're talking natural 20 here, like not okay. modified 20, like. Yeah, no. Yeah. Um, Sheesh. She looks at the door. She's like, no, I can't make it. <laughs> yeah. So the detective is like looking carefully at, at the tongues and then back at Witherspoon and like just can't get his head around this at all. He says, it It seems like, what? But they're not, like he can't even form a full sentence. And uh, Agnes, you know from being in Boston so long that uh, – he has an excellent reputation. Um, you know, he's one of the one of the most clever detectives on the force, and so something must be really wrong if he can't develop a theory here. I'm going to turn to Detective O'Neill and say, uh, further confusing this, and I apologize, is that I truly believe that Doctor Witherspoon does not think himself guilty, uh, and I'm not sure whether perhaps there is a, a some kind of 
disease of mind that could be leading him to believe that when really he has committed the crimes. But then there also mm-hmm. seems to be circumstances that would disprove his presence because he has an alibi, doesn't he? Does he not for at least one of the murders? He said he, he has alibis for. I spoke with Scotland Yard. He has an alibi for all of the murders. He spoke to them and it corroborated his. He. But the tongue. Dr. Witherspoon has been uh, declaring over and over again that he must have been framed, but by whom is, my, is the question then? Yeah. Who would want to frame you, Witherspoon? O'Neill says to him. Um, and Witherspoon just sort of like shakes his head. I have no idea. I, I'm a good man. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a doctor. I, I've done good things all my life. O'Neill uh, just really is puzzled. He says, Witherspoon, I, I believe you, but I have to place you under arrest. I have to. There's simply too much evidence here. And you're probably going to need two hands to cuff him, right? <laughs> he says, uh, he says, yes. Then when he removes the hand from Sawyer, Sawyer continues down the stairs. <laughs> um, he says, Marshall, I could use your help with this. Marshall. <sighs> Let's out a sigh, turns around and helps him arrest so he puts him in cuffs the whole time. Um, Witherspoon is, is protesting. Um, he protests enough that he, uh, he convinces you and uh, detective O'Neill to, to let him take out the dagger and kind of suture it up a little bit before he goes. But yeah, he's, he's let out. Um, and uh, other police officers have started to come at this point and they secure the room and, you know, they're in there taking uh taking pictures and things as, as you all sort of head outside with, with this guy. So, yeah. Uh, is there anything you want to do before you leave? I feel like we're missing something and she's just going to do like one more scam, like just anything that pops out, anything, you know, trying to see if something pops out. Okay. Uh, give me a, uh, insight psychology check. 14. No, nothing pops out at you. Well, I think James is, I mean, just going to make his way out. Hopefully, probably with the assistance of one of the officers or somebody, make his way down. Um, but you can still walk. Yeah. Okay. You're, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just slowly make his way out, outside, out into the, out into, out, out the door and out into the street. Mm-hmm. All right. So James is heading out to the street. What else is every, uh, Sawyer, you're helping, helping the uh, the detective. After after we do that, I'll, I'll probably try to uh, like sidle up alongside James outside, and mm-hmm. uh, I've asked several of the of the officers on the way out if anyone has a cigarette. Yeah, that that detective from before certainly does. Um, hold on, let me look up his name real quick. I, I think James James smokes. He does now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so as you're looking for, uh, for a cigarette, uh, Sawyer, um, you see, uh, Ted Blake from before come sort of hurrying up to you and he's like, Marshall, Marshall, how you doing, Marshall? Any, anything I can get for you, sir? 
Why, Officer Blake, I, I would uh, I would absolutely kill for a cigarette at this moment. He says, oh, there's no need to kill anybody for it. Here, here you can have a couple of mine. He holds oh, that's that fantastic. Too. You might want to get in there. There's quite a spectacle. This, well, all, all right. Uh, and anything in particular I should be looking for? <laughs> I was I was tempted to screw with him, but I've done that enough. I think I think with the cigarettes and the 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 damage that he's taken, he's he's just gonna just gonna say, you know what, Detective Blake, you've done a fine job today. You've served your city proud. Why don't you go inside and and uh, and help with this mess? You, you you've done a fine job. So it's dark outside, um, but you can still see him blushing. Thank, thank you, Marshall. So as he as he goes past, uh, Sawyer's going to light both cigarettes and then hand one, uh, not looking, just hand it out toward the second one over towards James. Yeah, James. James will take it for sure. Okay. You know, James, have you ever felt like you just been grabbed in the hot by death? Well, uh, yeah, I can say that's that's pretty accurate to how I'm feeling at the moment. I think that as far as bonding circumstances go, that's got to be among the the highest. So we should probably get ourselves a drink after this. Uh, you know, I I don't usually drink, but I, I don't think that I would turn that down uh, after after all of this. Where are the ladies? It's a great question. Ignacia's just frustrated. She's just coming down the stairs because she feels like there's like there, she's missing something and she just doesn't know what it is so she's just like caught up in her thoughts and just walking down the stairs okay um, give me a what's a good memory check that would just be like an intelligence check would be history uh yeah give me a history check okay that's a nine yeah sorry morgan um i know (laughs) You have this this unshakable sense that you're missing something. Like, um, I'm so sorry to do this to you. Like, there's something that happened earlier that that would clue you in. I know she's just stewing on it. That's that's pretty much how she's gonna be the rest of the night. And with until a, it clicks, <laughs> with a nine, it's on like just the goddamn tip of your brain. It's uh, right there. It's right there. It's just right there. I'll come back to you later. Okay. <laughs> she's gonna be thinking about it for a while. All right, Agnes. Yeah, Agnes has been, I think, kind of just a little bit stunned in the study. Like, didn't realize everybody had already left because she's just a little bit in a daze trying to put everything together. I had considered for a second trying to cast Identify on something, but I don't even know if that's really going to help. Yeah. All right, give me an insight psychology check. Okay. Mm, that is a 14. Okay. So one thing as you're sort of racking your brain here and thinking about like what objects you could more closely inspect, you remember that as you were bludgeoning uh, detective, sorry, not detective. (laughs) (laughs) Story goes in a very different direction. Uh, As you were bludgeoning the doctor and he's putting his hands up to cover his face, um, he had... Uh, a band on his on his right hand instead of his left um and he's a he's a widower so you might expect him to still be wearing his wedding ring 
but you would expect that on his left hand, not his right. Mm-hmm. But I'm assuming, yeah, the wedding ring's probably gone with him to with O'Neill. Well, he's he's still outside. They're still they're still in the process of process. Oh, okay, so that's still happening. All right. So if this occurs to me, then I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, not sprint, but gracefully and quickly head down to where everybody else is, um, and just kind of politely wait for Detective O'Neill to take notice that I'm I'm waiting to speak to him. Okay. So Detective O'Neill sort of sees you coming out and says, um, Miss Han? I don't know if this, well, I don't know if this means anything, but don't you think it's strange that, and I'm saying this quietly enough that Dr. Witherspoon won't hear this at first, okay. um, that Dr. Witherspoon is wearing his wedding ring on the wrong hand. He says, that's incredibly odd. And he sort of pauses and he says, but, um, it is incredibly odd. I wonder what would happen if we were to ask him about that. He says, well, no time like the present. Um, so, and if, and if nobody, if, how close is everybody else to, to this exchange? Um, the two of you step far enough away that nobody else can hear you. Okay. I'm going to nod for, you know, James Finn, Ignacia to come be here for this. Okay. So he goes over um, and he says, uh, uh, Dr. Witherspoon, um, when we take you down to the station, uh, we are going to need you to turn over your personal belongings. That, that won't be an issue, will it? And he says, well, as, as long as I can keep my, my wedding ring, uh, I'm, I'm fine. Uh, you wouldn't, surely you wouldn't take that from a, a poor widower, would you? Uh, Detective, o- sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, 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 go ahead. So Detective O'Neill says, uh, uh, in Britain, I know it's not the custom to wear the band on the opposite hand. So uh, why is that ring on your, on your right hand instead of your left? Finn's hands are going towards the hilts of his pistols. He doesn't notice. Um, so uh, Witherspoon sort of just very flatly like looks down at his left hand and says, oh, curious, I, I must have put it on the wrong hand when I woke up this morning. Um, and he removes it and then slides it over to his other hand. Can I insight check that to see if he's telling the truth about like, oh, I put it on the wrong hand. Sure. Uh, 20. Uh, yeah, he's telling the truth. Mm. Can I see that ring for just a moment to inspect it, doctor? He says, may you see my wedding ring? You I'm going to most... look over at, at uh, Detective O'Neill before he can continue talking. Um, he, he continues anyway. You certainly may not. You are uh, a crazy person, and I intend to bring charges against you for assaulting me, for, for stabbing me, that I'm going to be scarred. I'm, it may be difficult for me to walk in the future. Uh, you most certainly may not touch my wedding ring. I must insist Finn. that I see the wedding ring of the man who keeps nine tongues in his study. Finn, Finn is also going to step forward and say something. Okay. 
he steps forward and grabs the man's hand and wrenches the ring off of it, saying, uh, U.S. Marshal, I'm going to have to commandeer this ring. <laughs> um, so uh, give me a dexterity check. That's going to be contested here. Uh, 17 on the die plus three. No, plus five. I'm perf- that's my... Wait, wait. Um, it's not a save. It's just a check, right? Yeah. So 20. Uh, he rolled an 18, but a 20 is higher than an 18. Um, so you just narrowly take the, the ring off of his hand. Um, and he starts uh, ranting and raving. He's, a- he's absolutely flummoxed. Um, and he I, says, hand, I hand it to Agnes. Uh, Detective O'Neill sort of, sort of looks at this whole thing and he says, Marshall. Uh, and, you know, you don't need uh, an insight check or anything to tell that there's some venom in that. Uh, uh, he says, I think perhaps we ought to give the man's ring back to him. It is his wedding ring after all, as he told us. Um, I'm going to turn to the, I was going to say to the marshal, (laughs) to detective O'Neill and say, uh, I will just need this for one minute. I believe that this could actually be very important evidence and I'll be able to tell you uh, why that is in literally just one minute. Um, Give me a persuasion check with advantage. Um, That is uh, 12. That's your highest. Yeah. Um, He is not totally convinced. Um, I'm going to tell you what, that's sort of like right in the gray area. Um, I was looking for a 13. So so I'm going to let you role play this. And if you do it well enough, I'm going to give it to you. All right. Fair enough. Um, This is just Agnes and and the detective? Yeah, yeah. Uh, detective, you can be here watching me the entire time as I inspect this. Um, I just think that there might be some... He's so strange about the ring, and it is a odd behavior to mistakenly put it on the wrong finger, on the wrong hand, when for all your years being a married man. I mean, when would you ever accidentally put it on the wrong hand when you've been doing the same thing for years and years and years? He's, he holds up his left hand and it has no ring on it. And he says, I, I wouldn't know. Um, so he, he turns to, uh, to the doctor and he says, surely you can be without the ring for one minute. Can you not? Um, and <laughs> the doctor gets incredibly flummoxed um, and rolls a, a one on his persuasion check and just starts, starts stammering. And he says, give me, give me back my, my wedding ring. Give me my wedding ring. Um, and detective O'Neill looks at him and raises an eyebrow and says, is it your wedding? Miss Han, do what you need to do. Is the, is the um, right. ranting and raving Versus, uh, doctor uh, going to disrupt her? Like, is he causing a problem that would affect her, her, her ability to analyze this? Um, as soon as he says, uh, as soon as detective O'Neill says, I'm not entirely sure that's your 
wedding ring. He clams right up. Okay. Okay, so the way identify works is um so I touch one object uh through the casting of the spell casting of the spell. <laughs> um if it's a magic object, I learn its properties and how to use them, slash just like the details of that. And if I, I learn if any spells are affecting the item and what those spells are. And I also learn if the item was created by a spell and what spell that is. If that makes sense. Um, so I, I have to do it using a ritual. So the way that looks is I'll just be holding that in my hand, uh, concentrating, going into my Sherlockian mind palace, if you will. <laughs> um, and just kind of looking at it, seeing if there's any inscription. So to me, it looks like, am I looking for any inscriptions? Am I looking for any scratches, anything on there? But um, there's also a little something else <clears throat> going on, some other information uh, coming to me. Okay. Okay. Uh, so, all right. So, Clea, on a meta level, you as a player uh, discover from the spell that there's a powerful enchantment magic here that allows the wearer to lie convincingly to anyone who hears them so long as they're wearing the ring. Um, it doesn't look like anything. It looks like a plain gold band, um, but it, uh, unless the listener has direct evidence contrary to what the person is saying, it is a convincing lie. So if he were to have said, no, there aren't nine tongues over there, you wouldn't have believed him. Um, but uh, if he were to say, I didn't put those there, even if he had, you might have. All right. Uh, as uh, a character, however, um, of course, um, you think that uh, you think about very gifted mesmerists who also have a just a real extraordinary skill in in dissembling might have an object that the mere presence of is enough to distract people enough uh, to allow some sort of the person who's, who's gifted with subliminal messaging to weave their words such that they become lies would become indiscernible from truth. This is some like real next level mesmerism stuff that wouldn't involve any sort of concerted effort, wouldn't involve any sort of action behind it, but would simply happen possibly by doing a hand gesture that flashes the ring in a certain way. Um, you have no idea. You've never, you've never seen anything like this before. Um, and it's fascinating. All right. Uh, so detective, I believe what we have mm -hmm. here and I'm pointing to Dr. Witherspoon is a very uh, disturbingly talented mesmerist. In fact, I'm going to, if you may, um, conduct a, a short experiment. I think that he is potentially with the pot, with this ring as a tool, one of the best liars you may ever meet in your life. Um, Dr. Witherspoon, I would like for you to tell us all that one plus one equals five right now. Just say that, those exact words. He says, this detective, this is and Detective Witherspoon looks at him and in the harshest voice possible says, well, say it. He says, one plus one equals five. Uh, did anybody here believe that? James, put your hand down. 
Um, and he says, why would anyone believe? This is absurd. And I'm just looking at, at Detective O'Neill. Detective O'Neill says, no, of course not. All right. Um, Dr. Witherspoon, please put this ring back on and tell us once again that one plus one equals five. Okay. He says, one plus one equals five. And I'm looking to Detective O'Neill for a... He says, no, one plus one equals two. Okay, so maybe I misunderstood how this ring works. All right. <laughs> <Wait>. <laughs> so, so maybe I cut out. Um, and I, I did leave one thing out. Um, the, so you would know this about the magical property of the ring. Um, so it, the one thing that may have cut out when I said it was that it has to be a lie that the person doesn't know to be false. Okay, so like, got it. So if like a person says like, look up, the sky is green, you wouldn't go like, huh, I always thought it was blue. Um, or like, you know, a square has three sides, you would say, no, that's a triangle, dear. But something that you don't have enough information to know whether it's true or false, you know, within reason, of course, uh, is going to be believed. Um, and the thing that I left out was, and this is important, that the person has to have the intent of convincing you of the lie. Okay, got it. All right, yeah, that 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 somehow. Uh, <laughs> so I apologize. Uh, this still, I believe, is a a tool that he uses in order to essentially perform a high level hypnosis on people, but only if he intends to. So I believe that he could be very well lying about about the tongues, about anything that he would want to convince us about. But I, I do think that if you want to have any kind of success at an interrogation with him, you must make sure that he is not wearing the ring at the time. Witherspoon says, this is absolutely the most absurd thing that I have ever heard. Um, he says, this is more absurd than my being accused of being the Ripper. I think his reaction is suspicious enough <laughs> to, <laughs> to warrant some concern. All right. So, so is the, is the ring still on his finger? Yes. And as he was saying that sentence, uh, Sawyer is ripping it off of his finger. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, so another dexterity check here. Uh, 16. That's three, 19. That's higher than his seven. Um, so the ring comes off of his finger again, and he's just, just again, absolutely apoplectic. Um, he is, he's saying, Detective O'Neill, these, these, People are abusing me, are, and it's just sort of just invectives and all sorts of just nasty stuff getting thrown against you. So James has been listening to all this. Um, and once the ring's off, he's going to grab because just everything Agnes has said and everything is, is puts, enough, I guess, enough doubt in his mind as to what may have happened whenever he was asking him earlier. It's just going to grab, grab him back by the scruff of his shirt and try to hoist him up. And just scream in his face, you know. As you do that, Finn falls backwards into the gutter. Screaming. (laughs) Screaming. You know, something something along the lines of, like, explain the tongues. All right. uh, Give me an intimidation check. All right. Fuck. That's nine total. Uh, Well, he rolled a five, so yours is better. Um so he says, I, I don't, 
I, I don't have to explain anything to you. Put, detect. And Detective O'Neill says, "You don't have to explain anything to him, but uh, I think you have a few things to explain to me, Mister Wilcox. If you'd put that man down, drops him. <laughs> uh, and that kills him. No, uh, <laughs> <laughs> he was hanging on by a thread, but." He just, Cut that thread. No, um, he uh, so he sort of like falls to the ground, and uh, Detective O'Neill sort of hoists him up by his, un- you know, puts a hand under his armpit and hoists him up, and he says, "And don't worry, uh, we'll get you your wedding ring back shortly," and uh, sort of takes him off and uh, puts him in the back of a of a paddy wagon. As he puts him in, he turns to the four of you, and he says, "If uh, if the." Th- the four of you would be so good as to to come down to the to the station. Um, you were witness to this, um, and he leans in. and He says, "And you all saw the ghost." And then he sort of leans back and says, "So uh, it would be best if you all came down to the station so we could get some statements from you." Finn Finn reaches a hand up so that uh, uh, James can help him up out of the gutter. Yeah, he does. Dusts himself off. Right, says, I guess we're going to the police station. He says, I especially have some questions for you, Marshall. Are you sure we couldn't get a good night's sleep before we had this chat? He says, uh, I am Plum Tucker. He says, the night is young, Marshall, and uh, I'm sure that a man of your experience and practice uh, knows the importance of getting a story right away. Fair enough. Since the night is young, but maybe won't be young for too much longer, would it be possible for me to send a message back to my family so they they know where I am and don't worry about me? He says uh, that would be quite fair. I can have uh, I can have an officer uh, bring a message over. I, I could I could deliver that message. Uh... He says no. <laughs> uh, give me an insight psychology check. Eight. Okay. Oh wait, it's less than eight. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's not eight. Okay, don't don't worry if it's if it's less than eight, you don't notice shit. Okay, so so you see a sort of expression go across his face, but you can't quite tell what it is. Um, and he says, "No, Marshall, I, I'll have one of the detectives take care of it, or one of the uh, officers take care of it." Just we trying to be helpful. He says. And we can always count on you, count on you marshals for that. But let's head on back. All right. So um, unless there's anything else, uh, Agnes, you sort of give the message that you want to pass on. Anything specific that you want to? Uh, just that uh, both Ignacy and I are are safe and heading over to the uh, police department to answer some questions. But that will be home later and not to worry. Okay. And then I have, uh, I have one one meta one small meta thing. Yeah, yeah. You want to just leave it off the table. We'll talk about it later if it comes up. No, go ahead. What is it? Well, when when James was manhandling the doctor, I had just wrenched the ring off his finger, yes. and I made it look like I fell by accident because I was hiding the ring off of my person in a place that I could come back and get it later. Because I think I would want that. Got it. Actually, give me a sleight of hand check to make sure you do that convincingly. Okay. 14 on the die, and then sleight of hand, plus 5, so 19. That's that's very convincing. Yeah, everybody sees you just put your butt in the gutter. 
and doesn't really notice anything else. So you're good to go. Okay, so down at the station, it, this, the whole station is absolutely abuzz with um, with the, the possibility that they've caught the Ripper, that they've solved the Ripper murders, especially the ones in Boston, which you know they were completely on edge about. And Detective O'Neill uh, is sort of unfazed by all this and goes in and interrogates uh, the doctor for a little bit and then comes out to the, the room where they've sort of stashed the four of you. And uh, meanwhile, they're having another another detective uh, take your story. So, what are you what are you telling that other detective? Have we had any time by ourselves to get our story straight first? Uh, yeah, I think I think it's reasonable to say that you know he trusted you enough to make your way back to the police station on your own. So you had time while walking to to get your story straight. So, what do you uh, what do you three think the <laughs> our story should be about the ghost? Well, let's let's do this. Let's have let's have each of you tell part of the story, and we'll we'll just see what happens here. Oh, cool, cool. I like that. So the this new detective says, "Well, uh, Ms. Del Rio, uh, perhaps you could fill us in on what brought you to that house in the first place." She's basically going to pull her thoughts together, and we, at least I, I don't know about the others, uh, am connected spiritually to this earth and I felt moved um, to go there but that something was happening I have a sense you may say he says but, he says mm, mm-hmm, mm. Um, Mr. Wilcox you decided to go along with this spirit of the earth well um, I've been ever since my friend Terry the incident that happened at the bar in the alleyway. I've been, I've been kind of along trying to figure out what happened. And so I've been following along with, with this, my, this new group of friends of mine and, and, you know, some of them understand these things more and, and it seems like we were leading on the right path. So I just naturally kind of followed along and, and it, you know, nothing along the way, felt wrong about the act about where we were going. So I mm. continued to follow along. Okay. Marshall, then what you arrive on the scene. We arrived on the scene and had reason to believe that there was danger inside. So we went inside to see if we could be of assistance. And that's what, when we saw the doctor. What seemed uh, from the outside to be the problem there? I can't remember. It all happened so fast. He says, uh, you ever get that situation where, your adrenaline just takes over and your police instincts just kick in. Uh, give me a bullshit check. What are we? Uh, persuasion. <laughs> uh, 12 plus 1. 13. Uh, he is not convinced. He says, can't say that I have. And I've heard that marshals are generally pretty cool under pressure. Oh, quite cool. Quite cool when we're, uh, you know, when we're on the case. But... I have to tell you that there's been some weird things going on around here, and I, I, I spook easily when it comes to the supernatural. He says, the supernatural. Miss mm-hmm. Han, I know you put no stock in these silly sorts of things. What happened? So, if I were not a woman of science, as I am... I would probably be like everyone else who saw the uh, supposed ghost and be frightened. But being someone who has debunked these 
uh, so-called apparitions time and time again, I can tell you that I believe Dr. Witherspoon is a very, very talented mesmerist. Hmm. I don't know. I can't tell you exactly how he performed his tricks, um, but that I have seen tricks like them in the past. So we did follow this supposed apparition to the house, found two of the officers slain, as well as uh, the butler. And to the naked eye, it did look as if there were a ghost that resembled Dr. Witherspoon, uh, uh, locked in a bit of a a fight, I guess, with Dr. the real Dr. Witherspoon, uh, with Dr. Witherspoon claiming that this apparition was not him and the apparition at the same time claiming that it was part of Dr. Witherspoon. It was a bit of a confusing conversation, uh, between the apparition and this physical human being. He says it, it would have to be confusing to make a marshal go all mealy-brained like that and sort of gestures at, uh, at Finn. He says, well, um, I know that Detective O'Neill was with you for part of it, so I'll check and see with him if that's what he says happened too. But, um, and uh, how, did the, how did the doctor get stabbed and those lumps on his head? Well, he was behaving so erratically. Mm. And at the same, and I wondered at one point whether this apparition could actually be living, breathing human who mm. was disguised as a ghost, perhaps. It, I've seen that done in shows before. Mm-hmm. And she was adamant about him needing to die because of his deeds. And then when we found his, the collection of tongues in the study, it seemed that the evidence was very clear that uh, this man must have been the Ripper. And so it was what I might call preemptive self-defense. He says, you said it was the, the, the ghost um, or the thing that was trying to pass itself off as a ghost was in his form. Then you said her form. It changed at one point. Hmm. And where is that? The person who was taking on that form now? Uh, well, I thought at one point only that it could be an actual person. And now I do believe that maybe it was just uh, an illusion because it completely disappeared once enough damage was done to it and not damage that would, it did not look like a person falling because they were hurt. It looked like a, an illusion disappearing. And so the, the wounds to the head were because I thought that he was controlling this illusion. And if I knocked him unconscious, it would stop. That's clever. And uh, I guess the, the wound in his thigh, then the, the knife slipped, I suppose. Uh, in the chaos, you know, these things happen, and I, we were all frightened. He was being very loud. I would say and aggressive. Aggressive. Aggre- towards, yes, aggressive. Aggressive. Hmm. Well, um, I'll corroborate that with Detective O'Neill shortly, and uh, assuming that's the case, uh, we'll be in touch. So he sort of closes his notepad and heads out. Shortly thereafter, uh, Detective O'Neill comes in, checks to make sure you're all okay, and then says, uh, I've spoken with, uh, with Detective Rollins, and um, he, uh, the story you gave him is the same thing that I remember. Uh, and he smiles at you. And he says, so unless any of you would like to stay here, I, I think you're free to go. Uh, other than you, Marshall, I'd 
like a little bit more help with this case, if you don't mind. Well, I do have quite a few pressing matters, but I suppose I could give you a small hand. He says, uh, uh, do you have a yeah. cigarette? Um, he says, uh, I don't smoke, no. But many of the officers do. I can, I can have one brought in for you uh, for while we speak. Ms. Han, Ms. Del Rio, uh, I suspect that, Ms. Han, your parents are expecting the two of you. We'll have an officer uh, escort the two of you home this evening. Thank you. Um, Mr. Mr. Wilcox, uh, I've certainly seen enough to know that there's some funny business going on around here and that uh, Mr. Watson certainly was not in his own mind um, when he was, uh, when he was suborned to do the things that he did. And uh, I've spoken to him. He's asked that you help him get home. He's fairly shaken up. Absolutely. I, I, I will, I will do that. I will help him get, get home safely and, and just figure out the next few days. Very, very good. Very good. We'll, we'll uh, have that drink later, James. Yeah. James nods. Well, um, the three of you are free to go. Marshall, uh, a few more words and then I'll, I'll let you get your rest. Okay. Ignacy just sort of looks at, uh, Finn and just sort of like studies him for a second and gives him a nod and then just walks out. Okay. Um, so, uh, I, I, I make one request. I say, could, uh, could officer Blake, please walk the, uh, Ignacia home. If he's uh, not still at the crime scene, I, I certainly can have him do that. Um, so he sort of pokes his head out. Um, he's gone for, for about a minute and he comes back in, um, with a, with a couple cigarettes for you and he hands you all three of them. Oh, I'll take them. So as you light up and take a drag on the cigarette, he says, uh, so, how long have you known Jan Wo? He, uh, he leans back in his chair, takes a really long drag on the cigarette, and has a very reflective look on his face. And he, he takes his hat off for the first time. Even though he's been indoors for a little bit, he hasn't taken it off. He puts it on, the, on his knee. He crosses his legs, puts it on his knee in front of him, and, and he says, uh, Jan Wo, well, a time, a time. He says, uh... Well, how long ago was it that he told you your body is not your own? At that, Finn takes the hat off of his knee and puts it on the table and leans forward a little bit and starts clicking the ring against uh, against uh, the table with his, with his hand placed on it. Okay. He says, uh, fine, fine. Look, I'm just trying to start conversation. I know you've known him since a year ago, April, when he pulled you out of an opium den, right? Go on. He and I know each other. Um, and uh, you're not especially convincing as a marshal. So <laughs> I uh, I made some investigation into you. And you're staying with, uh, with Li Jing. For, forgive me. I, I make it a point not to answer questions for which the asker already knows the, the answer. He says, fair enough. She and I go go quite a ways back. Feel free to ask her about me. Um, it would be good if you and your associates, but especially you, could use a bit more discretion. He said if there were to be some sort of object that would make your marshalhood more convincing, perhaps that 
that ring, which I understand is very important to you, might not be the only piece of jewelry you ought to wear. Finn, uh, Finn flicks his jacket coat open a little bit, and the little dart from the very first scene that he tucked in his coat <laughs> is sitting in there, and he says, "Why you don't you don't think this is gonna this is gonna get the attention of uh, criminals? It might get the attention of criminals, but anyone with a, a keen set of eyes who isn't in raw mortal panic might notice that that's uh, from a billiards hall rather than the U.S. Marshal Service." But um, despite all of that, uh, you and your friends did do some fine work these past two nights. Stopped a man from killing himself. Uh, stopped a cult from summoning whatever the hell it was they were going to summon. Stopped a ghost. Stopped Jack the Ripper. It's pretty good for two nights' work. Yeah, we did all right. He chuckles. Um, he says, I understand you're going to be in Boston for uh, for a bit of time. While you are, if you stop in and see me once in a while I'd, I'd appreciate that I would help keep up the pretense that you and I are working on a case together which is what I've been telling everyone around here because you're not unrecognizable Finn but uh, drawings being what they are I've convinced everyone that you're a bona fide marshal and uh, you coming to see me once in a while would help keep that story up How's that sound? Are you looking for help from just me or or my associates, since we seem to be quite a quite a combination? Since you seem to be pretty good together, I wouldn't say no to the four of you, but if things come up, I'm not planning on deputizing you or anything, but uh, if there's something that I'm not able to look into, like the Free Hill Bonafides, it might be helpful. Well, I think we have ourselves a deal. You just let me know the name of the organization you're working for. He so says, I know where to send my invoice. He chuckles. Um, well, how about we uh, put this against the the debt you owe Yangwo? Yeah, uh, Finn, Finn stops stops being coy and, and clever <laughs> and nods his head and he says, takes his hat, puts it on, covers just, just enough of his eyes to where he doesn't have to make eye contact making this statement and he says... We have an agreement, Detective. He reaches out his hand. I'll shake it. Okay. He says, Pleasure meeting you, Mr. Finn, and some good work. Likewise, lawman. <laughs> so yeah, so with that, he sort of stands up and, and walks you over towards the door, opens it. And as he you know walks you towards the front, he's patting you on the back and keeps referring to you as Marshall and telling you what a, what a fine job you did keeping all those folks safe. You know, as you get to the to the exit, he gives you a quick nod and then turns back in. Red Death is Morgan Nuncio as Ignacia, Cleo Yunsu Davis as Agnes, Tim Devine as Finn Sawyer, Kent Blue as James, and Doug Lewandowski as our Game Master. Rotoplay Podcast is edited, produced, and hosted by Kent Blue.